You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. loves the Egyptians. He loves them just like he loves Israel. They had every opportunity to be saved, to be delivered, just like Israel. If they would but acknowledge the clear revelation of the true God, He is God. There is no other. And if they would just apply the blood of the Lamb, they too could be saved. God loves the Egyptians. When you hear the story of the Israelites being rescued from Egypt, you most likely don't give a second thought for the Egyptians. We generally just think of them as little more than collateral damage. But as Pastor Danny will clarify in today's message, God loved the Egyptians too. In the plague of the death of the firstborn, the Egyptians were given the opportunity for mercy just the same as the Hebrews. If they covered their doorway in the blood of the Lamb, they too would have been passed over. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Exodus chapter 7 as he continues his message, Deliverance from Egypt. fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But it says the magicians of Pharaoh, they did the same thing. They turned water into blood. What's going on there? It's called counterfeit signs and wonders. And because they're able to do the same thing, Pharaoh says, I'm not letting them go. No way. God says, okay, more plagues are coming. You're going to love the next one. Chapter 8, verse 6. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up, covered the land. But again, the magicians did the same things. Now, why would you want to repeat that? But they did it, and they made frogs come up on the land. Frogs everywhere. So Pharaoh says, no, not letting them go. Not going to work. And then God sends the third plague, chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the ground. Throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand uh, with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. That's a lot of gnats. And notice, verse 18, when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Why? Satan has power, but it's limited, and there's one thing that Satan cannot do. He cannot bring life from death, which is what God did by producing the nets. Pharaoh's magicians say to him, this is the finger of God. But he still doesn't care. He hardens his heart. He says, I'm not letting them go. I don't care. And so plague number four, chapter 8, verse 24, dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace, into his houses. 
and the houses of the Egyptians and all his officials throughout Egypt. The land was ruined by flies. You think that would work, but it doesn't. Hardens his heart again. And so you get plague number five, chapter nine, verse six. Next day, the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. He still hardens his heart. This dude's, he got a thick skull, man. Hard-hearted. And so plague number six comes. Ouch. Chapter 9, verse 10. They took soot from a furnace. They stood before Pharaoh. They tossed it into the air. Festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptian. Now it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Some people get all bent out of shape at that. Listen, if you repeatedly harden your heart, then you will become calloused. And then the Lord will say, okay, you want a hard heart? I'll give you what you want. That's all it means when it says the Lord hardened his heart. You want to you resist God? You want to resist the Holy Spirit? And you keep doing that and you're persistent in that? Then you're going to end up calloused and the Lord's going to say, I'll just leave you alone. And then plague number six comes. Chapter 9, verse 23. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky. The Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning uh, flashed to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. But Pharaoh still unyielding. And so you get plague number 8. Chapter 10, verse 13, Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt. The Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind had brought locusts. They invaded all Egypt, settled down in every area in the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail. Every growing, everything growing in the fields, the fruit on the trees, nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Well, that doesn't soften Pharaoh's heart either, and so you get plague number 9, Exodus chapter 10, verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Every time I think about this one, my mind goes back to the darkest experience in this life I've ever had. It was in the land of Israel in Hezekiah's tunnel. And we're walking through Hezekiah's tunnel. And right about halfway through, I told everybody in my group, now, everybody stop. Turn off your flashlights. We all turn off our flashlights. And you guys who are with me, remember how that was? Wasn't that so cool? Wouldn't have been cool, but we knew we were saved. We knew we were Christians. We knew we were going to heaven. And we knew our flashlights would come back on. <laughs> Hopefully. But man, you talk about darkness. It was a darkness you could feel. But Pharaoh still is unyielding. And so you get to chapter 11, and it opens this way. The Lord said to Moses, I'll bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he'll let you go. Verse 4, chapter 11, Moses said, This is what the Lord says about midnight. I'll go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There'll be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. 
The plague on the firstborn is fascinating to me, and even more fascinating this particular study through this section of Exodus than ever before, because I saw something in a light I've never really seen it before. Because the plague on the firstborn is connected to Passover. Passover where you were to take the Passover lamb, uh, you were to uh, slaughter the lamb, take the blood, apply it uh, to your house, and then, then when the death angel comes over to kill the firstborn in every family, he would pass over you because he sees the blood of the lamb. The message is unmistakable. But all the way back in chapter 4, something... I never really meditated on deeply, but I did this time. Chapter 4, verse 22, here's what God tells Moses. Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord said, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go. The firstborn son. It's not that you didn't love the rest of your family, but in this culture, the firstborn Son, he gets double blessing inheritance. He, he, he's, just, he's a special a special one in the family. When I read that, I thought of Hebrews chapter 12. Whew, this is good stuff, man. Hebrews chapter 12, for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah... Verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You haven't come to plague and doom and darkness and fear of God's wrath. You've come to life. And you are God's prized possession. And here's what I put in my notes. It is a collective redemption. Israel is my firstborn son. But you only become a part of it by personal application. You have to apply the blood. You have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, have you? You won't be saved because your mom's saved. You won't be saved because your dad's saved. You won't be saved because your son is saved or your daughter is saved or your friend is saved. You won't be saved because you acknowledge God and you see His power and you see that He is the only God and you acknowledge that. Not just because you believe in Him have you, have you applied the blood. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? It's a fascinating story. So many lessons. So many lessons. But I have a question. Why was the deliverance delayed? Why ten plagues? Why didn't God just go to the uh, Passover. Why didn't he go to, go to, go to the, the, the tenth plague and get it all over with? Why the delay? Because in the delay, listen, God's people were challenged in their faith. Right? Initially, things got worse for them before it got better. Why the delay? Well, there's several reasons. One is God wanted to display his power clearly to the Egyptians. And again, if you were reading along with us, Uh, you would note, if you were reading carefully, how many times God said, and here's what I'll do, and they will know that I am the Lord. Here's what I'll do, and they will know that I am the Lord. And here's what I'll do, and Pharaoh will know that I am the Lord. Second, he wanted to prove that he's greater than all the gods of Egypt. If we were doing a more in-depth study, I I would show you how that with every plague, 
Every plague was a punch in the face to one of the gods of Egypt. You think you're a great god? Well, take this. Pow! You're just a false god. You have power, but it's limited power because, because you, you are counterfeit. You were really from hell. <laughs> you want to know the true God? Well, here he is. One after another, after another, after another. Deliverance was delayed because God wanted to display his power. And God wanted to prove that he's the only God. He is the true God. And he did this because he loves the Egyptians. He loves them just like he loves Israel. They had every opportunity to be saved, to be delivered, just like Israel. If they would but acknowledge the clear revelation of the true God, He is God, there is no other. And if they would just apply the blood of the Lamb, they too could be saved. God loves the Egyptians. Egypt in the Bible is a type, a representation of the world. And we know what God says about the world. And even though it's a very familiar verse, would you say it with me? Come on, here we go. Ready? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. What a great verse. What a great truth. God loves the world. (laughs) Red, yellow, black, white, they are precious in His sight. Peter tells us, don't forget, with the Lord, days like a thousand years, thousand years like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. The reason the hammer hasn't fallen yet on the whole world in terms of judgment is because God wants the world to be saved his heart i i love some of these old testament stories one is in the book of habakkuk habakkuk was one of the old testament prophets and habakkuk was complaining to god and you know what he was complaining about the condition of the world there's wickedness everywhere and things are going from bad to worse and it's infiltrated his own country israel and they're living like the rest of the world, and they're worshiping other gods, and they're acting like other people, and they're living in sin. And so Habakkuk complains. Where is your justice, God? Why don't you do something? And God says, hang on, it's coming. And then he tells Habakkuk what he's going to do and who he's going to use to do it. And then you know what happens? And it's almost humorous. Habakkuk then complains about what God's going to do and how he's going to bring it about. Because it's going to mean suffering. It's going to mean tough times. It's going to mean the stock market's going to crash, if you will. And Habakkuk begins to complain to God. First, he complains that God's not doing anything. When God says, here's what I'm going to do, he said, don't do that. And then as he settles in and prayerfully considers it, he says to God, listen, in wrath, remember mercy. And you better know He will. Because He loves people. In wrath, remember mercy. I love prophecy. I love prophecy. 
I don't know if you picked up on it, but what we're studying in Exodus right now in the plagues, there are parallels in the plagues in Exodus and the prophecies of Revelation. Parallels. In a time coming known as the Great Tribulation, God says, I have two witnesses in that day, and they have power. They have power to turn the waters into blood. And to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Wow. That's Old Testament kind of stuff. That's Moses kind of stuff. I highlighted some of the things that's going to happen. One third of the sea will turn to blood. Uh, He's going to send locusts, but locusts, these locusts are different. They are demonic locusts, and they are not out for green plants. They are out for people. Then he sends darkness on the throne of the beast or the antichrist revelation 16 10 and then at the very end when things really get climactic and i mean it gets bad on the earth he sends a hailstorm. you talk about a hailstorm. it's a hellish hailstorm. Hailstones a hundred pounds each good luck here's some closing thoughts As we get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, God's going to display His power increasingly throughout the world. And His intention is, His desire is, that He displays His power, people will repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When I've taught on prophecy in the past, and sometimes teaching about the end times prophecies, and pointing out some of the things in our world that have happened and that even are happening that are specifically fulfillments of prophecy pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I've used this phrase at times when I refer to those kind of events. They are prophetic postcards from God. But I realized in studying for this message, I have to update my teaching to the culture of the day because hardly anybody sends postcards anymore. Sometimes you say postcards, and they go, what is that? Kind of like cassette tapes. Eight-tracked, you're old. I mean, you're as old as me. And so here's, uh, here's the update. It's not prophetic postcards, it's hashtag. Hashtag. I might rename the, the message. Hashtag. God. Early this morning, I went to Matthew 24. Jesus answers a question of his disciples, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he begins to make a list. And he goes in this whole thing of, here's what's going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. I just, I just wrote them down. Wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, increased persecution for believers, betrayal and hatred among people, false prophets, an increase of wickedness. People living together that aren't married, sexual immorality abounding, homosexuality, great distress, natural disasters, 9-11 type situations, tsunamis, etc., etc., etc. And on the one hand you go, oh! On the other hand you go, hashtag Some people, despite an acknowledgement of God, will harden their hearts and refuse to repent. Persistent hard hearts become calloused hearts. Don't ever let your heart become calloused. 
Believers' ultimate deliverance from Egypt requires patient endurance. Oh, one more thought. This was a fascinating thought as I meditated on it. The display of God's power is not what sets one free from Egypt. It's active participation in Passover. That's what secures your deliverance. You can acknowledge the power of God. You can believe in God all you want. But unless you've applied the blood, unless you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you'll never be saved. Final thought. Believers' ultimate deliverance from Egypt requires patient endurance. Especially in the end times, which we're in. (laughs) I don't have time and you're probably happy about that, but I put in my notes just aging in itself, just getting older, just aging in itself is a challenge to remain faithful and hopeful. So here's what I want to leave you with. When bad things happen in the world, when bad things happen in your world, when the stock market's going down instead of up, when your bank account is going down instead of up, when you hear about another earthquake or another natural disaster, or another tragedy, when you look in the mirror and you go, you're just not the guy you used to be, you're not the gal you used to be. In every one of those situations, instead of going, oh man, bummer. Habakkuk first started out complaining, and then when God told him what he was going to do, he complained about that. If I can find that little book. Let me give you his final words after he obviously meditated. Here's what he says, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. So next birthday, when you look in the mirror, instead of going, oh, hashtag, (laughs) got a new body ordered, and it's coming. When you hear about the terrible thing that's happened, hashtag, Jesus is coming. When you see everybody else bent out of shape and all down in the dumps because of what's happening in the world, hashtag, I have hope. And I can tell you how to have hope. If you'll pay, put your faith in my Savior, Though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, there is a city where the Most High dwells. And the streams there make glad His people. We're the church of the firstborn. And we don't fear judgment. And we don't fear hell. And when the world is falling apart, My hope is firm. My hope is secure. My future is bright. Can you say amen to that? Can you say hallelujah to that? Can you hashtag that? Ah, 
Hashtag hallelujah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thanks for joining us today to study the Old Testament on the Living Word. You may have thought that this section of the Bible isn't relevant in a world that Jesus has redeemed, but we hope through this study that you've changed your opinion. There's plenty to learn from Old Testament books, the people within, and the ways that God reveals Himself. The God you meet in the Old Testament is the same one who created you, and the same one who's governing your life right now. If you'd like to explore more teachings from this Gleanings from the Old Testament series, you can find them online at ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube page, where you can watch a number of teachings from Calvary Chapel Fellowship and subscribe to our channel. Come connect with us on social media as well. You'll find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you'll be able to jump into the conversations there. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. You're invited to join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. We're excited to welcome you into our family of faith. You'll find directions and more information at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more on The Living Word. 